Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thank you for being here today. We are so glad you've decided to join us, and thanks for being a part of his church as well, and I know many of you have been praying this week for Ann McIntyre. She lost her son, Sean, uh, to cancer after a long battle with cancer, and then many of you have been praying for uh, Larry and Sue Myers as well, as Sue's in the hospital right now trying to figure out what's going on with her. But uh, if you missed the beginning of the service, Wes did give a disclaimer that if you have children under the age of about fifth grade, you might want to get them out of here, or I am not responsible for the conversation you have later. Um, Today is going to be like drinking out of a fire hose. There's going to be a lot of information, but I hope you can take one or two things away as as a family to discuss and to think about. So even if you don't have a family, if you're just like, I'm single, this doesn't apply to me, absolutely this applies to you. So find some people you trust around you, Uh, Ask them what they think in regards to some of these areas, but uh, as we were preparing for this Thrive Family Series back early in the summer, we sent out a survey that I think about 40 of our families filled out, and they identified these three issues that we're going to talk through today. Now, if I had a longer table and more time, we would have even more issues, but these are the three that we're going to focus on today, and as we look at them, I want to use two verses to kind of guide our discussion today or to guide your thinking today. The first one being in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where the writer of Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do. Like, does he really mean everything? Yes. He means everything that you think about, the actions you take, the words you speak, the thoughts you have, all come from your heart. And your heart, not the physical beating muscle, but the seed of who you are as a person, is problematic because we don't always see our heart accurately. We don't always see ourselves accurately. Jeremiah goes on in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, to say the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So this These two verses I want to use as an overarching principle of the entire discussion today is that you've got to guard your heart because everything you do comes from it. But you also need people around you because your heart is deceitful and you may think you feel or think certain things that aren't indeed reality. So a healthy, thriving family is the best place to help you guard your heart. Because when you have people around you, maybe friends or family, who are helping you guard it, you stand a better chance at not only being successful, but leading a life that pleases the Lord. Let me give you a couple examples. Today, I want to talk about three areas, time, technology, and sexuality. There's three boxes on the back of your bulletin, and my goal would be that you could have at least one conversation in your family about one of those boxes, time, technology, sexuality. The reason I think this is so important and why family can be so beneficial is Think about this. Uh, Husbands, you like to fish or hunt or go out and play sports, whatever you like to do. Your wife comes home and says, all you do is work, all you do is hunt, all you do is fish. What's your first response? No, I don't, right? We don't see ourselves accurately in regards to how we spend our time. Uh, Maybe, husbands, you come home and your wife's uh, on her phone and you say, you spend all of your time, be careful with um, words like all and every, by the way, just pro tip for guys. Um, You spend all your time on social media, and the wife's response is, no, I don't. 
There are so many areas of our life that we just don't see ourselves accurately. And the thing is, these are cultural issues. So the way we spend our time, the way we handle technology, and the way we think about sexuality, they are cultural, certainly, issues. But I want you to be reminded, they're not just cultural issues. They're spiritual issues. When Paul tells the people of Ephesians in chapter 6 to stand firm and guard yourself against the devil's schemes, I believe these are some of the schemes that he's using to try and trick us. Keep in mind, the devil or Satan takes all that God meant for good and distorts it just a little bit to try and lead you astray. So is there anything wrong with the way you manage your time? Maybe not. Is there anything wrong with the fact that there's technology? Maybe not. Sexuality is a gift given by God, and we should enjoy that in the right context? Absolutely. But Satan takes each one of those and distorts it just a little bit. And when you understand this is not just a cultural issue, this is a spiritual issue, we can address them in a more appropriate way. The first time I want to talk to you, or the first thing I want to talk to you today is about time. We can do our best to try and manage our time. The old saying goes, you either manage your time or your time manages you. This is a clock from when I was growing up, and I hated this thing because it would ding on the half hour, and then it would ding again on the hour. And so my brother and I had to go to bed at 9 o'clock, and uh, it would ding nine times, and our parents would be like, ah, oh, it's time to go to bed, till my brother and I figured out you could open the back of it and shove paper in here, and then it wouldn't ding anymore. And as much as we try and do that, and you think like, oh, that's funny, but like, we do the same thing all the time. We're like, well, if we just cut out a little bit here and add a little bit over here, we can manipulate time and it'll be all better. Well, I still had to go to bed because 9 and 15 rolled around and suddenly they realized we were still up and it was time to send us to bed. But we do try and manipulate the time that we have and, and we try and shave off certain things or add certain things. If you don't manage your time, your time will manage you. And this is not a new concept. And the reason I bring this up is because this has been happening for thousands of years. Uh, Moses wrote in Psalm 90, verse 12, he said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. If there's the idea that we need taught, it must mean that we don't handle this real well. Moses was alive a lot longer than you and I will ever be, and he still struggled to manage his time well. For most of us, though, if we ask one another, like, how are you doing today? That usually goes in an interaction like this. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm just really busy, right? I'm just really busy. And we wear busyness like a badge of honor. Like, if you suddenly don't say that you're busy, we just think you're a loser and you do nothing productive in life. So it's just easier to say, oh, man, I'm just really busy. But busyness is part of the time problem. Because if we look at it through the lens that Moses did, he said, teach us to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. We have to understand we are only here for so long. I have been confronted with that in the past week as my oldest daughter turns 16, and I've been reminded I got two years left with her. So suddenly I am hyper-focused on, now I probably should have been hyper-focused all along, but I'm really hyper-focused now. I got two years left to try and pour into her the best that I can. And so the reality is, as families, we struggle to manage time because there is no shortage of good things to do with your time. I mean, you could do every travel sport you want. You can have them in church. You can go to camp. You can go to 12 camps, for that matter. You can get them into this particular grouping that, that appears before Congress. I mean, there's just no limit to good things that are available to you and me today. But are they the right things? And what I would encourage you to do as a family is to think through how you spend your time because busyness long-term is not a good solution. Matter of fact, researchers are finding this in the article entitled Busyness Epidemic. They say that they found that when you choose to operate at full capacity nonstop every day and you never rest, 
it stresses the omlagata portion of your brain. And if you don't give that portion of your brain a rest over a long haul, it leads to early onset dementia. So like we're literally causing our own personal demise with our willingness not to see time in the right perspective. This is a cultural issue, but this is a spiritual issue because you look at what did God do? God created in six days and he took a rest on the seventh. Why? Because he was bored? No, because it was an example to you and to me. Did he need it? Absolutely not. Do you and I? 100%. We need to rest and we need to understand that we have a certain amount of time and we got to take advantage of what's the best use of our time. Kyle talked about this a couple of weeks ago in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it's the idea that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Moses goes on to say, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and on your uh, foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. As busy people, we have to maximize our time. And for those of you who are raising kids right now, I understand you're running this kid here and this kid here and this kid here. You've got to take advantage of those times in the car, those times waiting for other things to happen to continue to reinforce what God has instructed us to do. They did it back centuries ago. It just wasn't as busy because they had to walk a long way, so they had a lot more time. I had a friend recently this past week that told me they used to sit on their phones after they dropped their kids off and just wait and, and scroll and scroll and scroll. And then they decided they were going to start walking and talking. And she's like, our, our marriage has been better the past week than it's been in years because they're just taking advantage of that time and how should we use it best. On the surface, you're like, this is not a big deal, but it absolutely is. And I'm going to show you why here in just a minute. Um, the reason is we're busy, but you know you have a lot of free time as well. I want you to get your phone out real quick. Yep, totally legit. Get your phone out. And I want you to, if you have an iPhone, I want you to go to, to settings and then I want you to scroll down to the second block, and at the bottom of the second block should be screen time. If you have an Android phone, I think this works, but I didn't check it because I don't have one. You go to general, and then you go to well-being, and it'll give you the amount of time you spent on your telephone this past week. Now, some of the people in the first hour were absolutely shocked at how much time they spent on their phone. Uh, researchers say somewhere between two and six hours is the average Okay? So when you tell me I'm really busy and I don't have a whole lot of time, I would say you absolutely have time. It just may not be doing the right thing. Now, I have nothing against having a phone, having technology, having social media. I recognize that that's an arbitrary counter because it's counting even if you're talking on the phone. But my point in sharing that is you have time. It's just what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Because what often happens is that we take our time and we end up usually on technology. The question today is, what, is you, what could you as a family do to make the most of the time that you have? I get it. Some of you are working insane amounts of time and providing for your family in a really cool way. But is there anything you could change or any adjustments you could make? Because what you do with your time affects your heart. Remember, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So what you do with your time, if all you ever are focused on is your activities, it starts to change your heart. If all you're ever focused on is other people, it starts to change your heart, even as good as that is. And so keep in mind, that's one of the best ways we can guard our hearts. So a lot of times when we end up with free time, we go to our phone, right? 
go to our phone or go to an iPad or go to something else. I'm not against technology. I think technology is incredible. I think social media has a lot of really good things. So the first one's time. And if we don't manage our time well, then we end up in the second one, which is technology. And we spend a lot of time on it. In 2014, there was the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Anybody remember this? You're pouring water all over your heads. Ten years ago, if you would have said, everybody pour water on your heads, we're going to raise money for a great organization, you would all looked at me like I was nuts, and suddenly everybody's doing it. It was the highest, uh, largest grossing fundraiser ALS has ever had as an organization. So you look at that, and you're like, wow, that's incredible. But then you look at, in 2017, 13 Reasons Why came out on uh, Netflix, which is a show basically about suicide and how to do it and why it's cool. And basically, in the month of February of 2017, there was a 28% spike in suicides between ages 10 to 17. The largest one-month spike in suicides that have ever happened since they started recording data. And you go, wait, look at all the great that came out of social media. They raised all this money for ALS. And then you look at this and you go, wait a minute, 28% more people in the age range of 10 to 17 killed themselves in April of 2017 because a TV show said it was cool. So what do we do with this? Because this is such a massive influence in our life. Increase in mental health issues over the past decade have followed a near exact linear path as the rate of social media. So YouTube comes out in 2011, 2012, and it starts to climb. Comes along and Facebook takes on popularity. Instagram takes popularity in 2015, 16. 2017, TikTok comes out, and 2016, Snapchat. And the rates for all mental health issues among 10 to 25-year-olds triples. They are absolutely, there is absolutely a corollary there. Now, that may not be the only reason, because you throw in a pandemic and a bunch of other problems, and you're going to have a nightmare situation that we're dealing with now. So what do we do with all this? Because it's like, well, that seems pretty hopeless. Thanks for that. Um, take a look at Luke chapter 6 in your Bibles. Because I think Jesus, he didn't, this was not his intent to, to speak on social media usage, but it applies. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking in verse 43. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn brushes or grapes from briars, and we all would go, okay, thanks, Jesus. This is super profound. But then he takes it and he says, a good man brings up the good things out of the good that's stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings up the evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And Jesus says that your mouth speaks what your heart is full of. Now, you may not physically be speaking to people, but I want you to think about this. In the past 10 years as a society, have we become more kind, more loving, more patient, and more gracious, or have we become more vindictive, more hateful, more violent, more traumatic? Now, I am not gonna be the guy that's like, oh, social media is the devil there's a lot of good things. But you look at our technology usage, usage compared to our mental health rates, compared to how we handle our hearts, and you look at that and you go, wait a minute, Jesus was onto something because he says the good things that go down into our heart are what's going to come out and the bad things that are going to go down as well. I want you to think about it because there are some great things. Social media has a lot of good, but it also in, leads to envy, jealousy, comparison, vitriol, hate, and discord. And if all you ever put in is negativity, all you're going to get out. I want you to think, for so many of you, you probably uh, wake up 
you open your eyes, you grab your phone to see what time it is, and then you start scrolling. And then you just keep going. And 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, you're still there. Now, I don't have a problem with that. If that's how you want to start your morning, okay. I think you could also encourage you to maybe spend some time, you know, in God's Word. That'd be helpful. That's positive. And maybe just even sitting there in silence and enjoying the morning would be cool too. But what happens? You don't normally scroll along and somebody's on vacation and your response is like, wow, that's great. So happy for them. No, usually it's like, well, I want a vacation. I, I didn't get a vacation. That beach looks really nice, right? There's this comparison trap that we're immediately sucked into at the beginning of our day, and we wonder why we hate Mondays. It's not just because of Monday. It's because we've set ourselves up to fail. And so you look at that, and you see uh, somebody said that comparison is the thief of joy, and your phone is reminding you of all the things that you missed out on. And so if we don't manage our time well, it leads to a a usage of technology that often ends up bad. And in verse 45, Jesus says, a good man brings up the good things out of a good stored in his heart, and an evil man brings out the evil things of the evil stored in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The reason why this is so important is because we've allowed technology, whether we meant to or not, to define what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, even what looks right and feels right in regards to who we are. There's a a phenomenon, if you will, that's happened recently called rapid onset gender dysphoria. And there's some disagreement on this is really the case, but I would argue it's absolutely the case. Rapid onset gender dysphoria is where a a teenager looks at, or they, they are fine growing up, and then suddenly they get involved in social media and they start to look at what it means to be male or what it means to be female through the lens of social media, and they start to question whether they really are male or female. Well, if you look around 2017, the data on this is clear that basically this rapid onset gender dysphoria exploded with the invention of TikTok. When people started having conversations around, I didn't look like this girl on Instagram, so therefore I must not be a girl or I don't look like this guy, and so I must be a guy. And this is yet another problem where we see that that social media, in regards to what we observe, starts to change what we think. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot of other factors and a whole lot of other things to talk about here. And as I said, this is going to be a a fire hose. But there. in regards to technology and how to use your phone and, and that kind of thing, uh, we do a technology milestone class for fourth through sixth graders and then seventh through twelfth graders. Kyle does the one with the high schoolers, and I do the one with the middle schoolers. It's on September 18th, and it's open to anybody. So if you have more questions around technology, um, I'd be happy to help you with that. But I do think, in light of how much time we spend on our phones, it's good to have a conversation as a family. Is should we maybe back that off a little bit? Maybe. Should we watch the way that we spend our time? Because here's the problem. Most of you in this room are worried about this problem, sexuality. Because our culture is inundated with it right now, especially around transgenderism, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But you realize that for 96% of you in this room, these are the two that are going to take you down, not that one. And so if we don't manage our time well, we end up here, And then we allow this to be the filter through which we give everything else in life. So when Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it, today it's this. Tomorrow it will be something different because there will be something else that will go after your heart. So today is the big thing is transgenderism because that's just everywhere. But tomorrow it's it's going to be 
something else. So what could you as a family do to help guard your hearts around that? And I think family is the best place to do that because if you're in a good family, they love you. If you don't have a good family, come talk to me or somebody else. We'll try and help you out. But the reality is, is that we need each other. The last cultural slash spiritual hurdle we face is around sexuality. And before I get into this, I just want to say that we as a church, not just Westbridge, but Church Collective, have not handled sexual issues well in the past. We just haven't. And I'm sorry for that. Uh, We've harped on some things, but we've let other things go. So we've made a big deal out of some sins. And whether we meant to or not, we made a big deal out of this one, but we ignored this one. We almost, in in essence, came up with an acceptable list of sins, and we have an unacceptable list of sins. And we go after the ones that are unacceptable, but we ignore the ones that are acceptable. And it's not just me who's done this. We've all done this. So it's not just even in the past 10 years. This has been a struggle with humanity of how to handle this well. We haven't loved our homosexual friends when we've been clearly told to do so. And when it comes to transgenderism, we can't just dismiss it because it's weird and we don't understand it. Because odds are there are people in this room and there were people in the last hour room who either are struggling with this or know somebody who's struggling with this or have a family member who's struggling with this. And it can be traced back for a variety of reasons. Time, technology, mental health, trauma, PTSD. There's a variety of factors. But the reality is we have the chance as the church to respond to this in, I think, a better way than maybe we have in the past with some other areas. I will tell you that this is not as clear-cut as I thought it was when I started studying this two, two weeks ago. I thought this was a pretty much a, this, they're wrong, and I'm right, and just jump on board, right? It's not that clear-cut. And I think our culture would love to have you think that it's just super clear-cut, and that we just need to ignore it or, or embrace it, and that is not necessarily what happens. You see, there's an identity crisis we all have, regardless of your gender identification or how you think about sex. All of us have an identity crisis. In the Bible, you're given this identity in Christ, which is you're accepted, and you're loved, and you're forgiven, you're adopted, you're restored, and all of these things you're given. In our world, we are grasping at straws for our identity. If you're a follower of Jesus today, you don't have to grasp for your identity. It's been given to you through Jesus Christ. And if you rest in that, all of your other troubles will start to be more manageable than what you currently allow to. But when you allow your troubles to to start to identify you, that's the problem. So there's this massive identity crisis happening in our culture that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with sexuality or gender. It's just a reality that we've failed to allow God to define us in the way that he's wanted to and instead of trying to embrace our own. In the Bible, sex is such a small part of who you are, and in our culture, it's everything. And so we flip-flopped and got those backwards. The other thing that's so important to understand is that you're an image-bearer of God, regardless of what you think or how you feel. You reflect God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1, back at the beginning when we were created, Pastor John was here, at least in verse 26 last week. I want to be in verse 26 and 27 for a moment to remind us that when God created us, he had purpose. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them, male and female, God created them. 
One of the cool parts as God is creating humanity is that he says that they're created male and female. And what we come to learn from this is that if we're going to be made in the image of God, there are certain aspects of God's attributes that we all get. We get intellect, we get emotion, we get will. Those are called communicable attributes that we endure because God created us in a way that reflects his image. But we also get the fact that we're male and female and that there's male attributes that reflect God's goodness and love and there's female attributes that reflect God's goodness and love. And you can't just have one or the other. You actually need both to understand who God really is and the way that his love plays out in real time. And so in Genesis, we're told that in the beginning, God created them male and female. This is pre-sin. So if God wanted to say there was another option, he probably could have. Jesus went on to affirm this in Matthew chapter 19 when he said, in the beginning, God created them male and female. And so what do you do with this? Because, wait a minute, there's these other people who think they might be different. I would suggest that uh, every other variation is a distortion of God's design. Now, some of those are what's called intersex. And unfortunately, transgenderism has taken a number of, of terms and thrown it under its umbrella, and they don't all mean the same thing. This was like mind-boggling to me this week as I was studying this. Intersex would be where your, your outside anatomy doesn't match your inside physiology. So you could potentially have someone with female genitalia but male anatomy on the inside or vice versa. And that's what's referred to as a disorder of sexual development. Now, that happens, as I believe, as a result of the fall. God created a male and female, and sin comes in and distorts everything. It ruins everything, right? That's why we have to work. That's why there's pain in childbirth. That's why you get old and you have problems. That's just a result of sin. Some of those are, are genetic defects or chromosomal abnormalities, and those individuals are referred to as intersex. But unfortunately, the transgender movement has said, yeah, see, that's proof that this is all acceptable and okay. And these people, one in 5,000, that means there's two or three of these people in Danville at least. There's a, uh, if there's a fascinating documentary on BBC if you want to watch it later. There's a village in the Dominican Republic where these boys uh, are dealing with what's called 5-alpha reductase type 2 deficiency, or the generic term for this is penis at 12. And what happens is these boys do not develop a penis until they become 12 years old and hit puberty. And it's one in 90 boys in this village. And these individuals would be called intersex, meaning that it just doesn't quite line up. You also have transgender, which is a mismatch between your identity or what you identify as and what is actually on your birth certificate. But these are different groups with different challenges. Imagine being born with different parts that don't quite make sense. That's a real problem. That really requires a lot of compassion. And if we just lump them into transgenderism, as I would typically do, and you probably would too, it'd be real easy to be like, oh, whatever, I just don't even care. And whether it's because of pride or arrogance or just weird and we don't want to engage it, you have to understand that all this other stuff is happening around us. The third category, there's about five other ones, but I didn't, we don't have time to get into them. The last one is gender dysphoria, which is the distress of a person in conflict with their assigned birth versus what they feel. And so you've got the people who are struggling with just how they feel inside this gender dysphoria. You've got transgender, which is where they literally think that what's on their birth certificate is the wrong one because they feel like they're trapped in a male body or female body. And then you have intersex as well, which is where they literally have the wrong parts that are mismatched because of a chromosomal de deficiency or abnormality, whatever it might be. 
okay? So those are three categories for sure as we think about this. And the reason why I want to give that to you is this is not as clear-cut as you think it is. It is not. And so we, we have to have compassion as we interact with this group of people. The data around transgenderism, though, is astonishing, and nobody's listening. And um, I want to share some stats. This is going to be a lot, but uh, hopefully it gives you some uh, insight into what they're struggling with. The highest rate of suicide of any subgroup of people in our country is transgender individuals. They are 19 more times likely to commit suicide than you and me. And then the culture's answer to their problem is, Hormone blockers, top surgery, bottom surgery, puberty blockers for kids, and that's their solution. So they're 19 times more likely to commit suicide just by even being in this category. If they go through treatment as our culture prescribes, they're even more likely to commit suicide. So the very cure that's prescribed by our culture is just be yourself, do what makes you feel best, and get this change is what destroys them, even, and it makes it worse. It's mutilation at best. It causes massive amounts of problems. And so you're 19 more times likely. Here's a really interesting thing. One of the big things in our country, even this past week, there was two states that were, had legislation around this, was what to do with kids when they uh, ask questions about, I think I might be a boy or a girl trapped in, in another body. Depending on the study you read, 80 to 95% of children who experience gender dysphoria or who struggle with what gender they are if they're allowed to proceed naturally, to go through puberty, to just endure through the difficult years of middle school, if you will, 80 to 95% of those children will choose their natural God-born sex if they're allowed to. So what's happened in our culture, we've said, we've got to fix these kids because there's a massive problem. Keep in mind, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do comes from it because there's a time problem, there's a technology problem, and there's a sexuality problem. And our culture says what we need to do is a quick fix that'll take care of this. And so they've rushed headlong into doing this. And the problem is the medical community doesn't all agree about this. The, the, the mental health counselors don't all agree about this. If you know somebody who's a student who's struggling with this, can I just encourage you to give them grace and to encourage them there are other options out there besides some drastic, massive, life-changing event. Women are often most the ones that are transitioning to men. It could be because of inequality or trauma or abuse. They don't like what the culture says. It was interesting as I read a book, I'll refer you to the end of it, at the end of it today, a study that they did where how many girls that were on Instagram that looked at a certain image and thought, that's what a girl looks like, therefore I don't look like that. Can I just encourage you young ladies that God designed you exactly the way that he wanted you to be designed? that Instagram is not the definition of what a woman is or is not. Same thing for guys as well. Those who are on the autism spectrum have higher rates of transgenderism. And often people who've experienced abuse, comorbidity, psychiatric issues, PTSD, trauma, the whole point in showing all of this is it's so much more complex than what you thought it was. Is it a mental health issue? Probably at times, absolutely. Is it a trauma, PTSD issue? Yeah, probably. Is it a fact that some people are born with parts that don't line up with what's happening on the inside? A hundred percent, yes. I so appreciate Travis Richardson, who's one of our elders. He's an OBGYN, and he spent about an hour and a half with me last week telling me everything under the sun around the medical side of it. My mind was blown at how many conditions there are that people are struggling with this. And so it was interesting as he talked, there are many other conditions where your brain is telling you something's wrong, and the treatment center is around retraining your brain, not 
go have some life-altering surgery. A couple of examples he gave was eating disorders. If you have an eating disorder, we don't say cut off part of your stomach. We say you are not viewing yourself accurately. Now, this is not a blanket statement. That doesn't work for every situation, but that's one. Psychiatric issues. We don't do whatever a person struggling with schizophrenia. We don't take the, the harsh treatment of them and, and do something massive. We start to try and retrain the brain. And while I'm not sure all people with gender dysphoria can trace it back to a mental health issue, we should be exploring other options because the horror of some of these treatments is astounding. The other part that the transgender movement does not like is that now, so in 20. 14, much of the, the top surgery and bottom surgery, where they make their parts look like they want them to be, started happening. It happened earlier than that, but this was kind of like the, the initial push, shortly after the Bruce Jenner uh, stuff came out. A number of these people are what's called detransitioners now. So they went through the, the radical surgery to fix what they thought was wrong, and they're coming out now in droves saying, I still have a problem. I, this does not fix my long-term, so this is not a long-term solution. One of those is Carrie Stella. I'd encourage you, if you get a chance, YouTube her later. You can, you can listen to her story. She said this, how many other medical conditions are there where you can walk into a doctor's office, tell them you have a certain condition which has no objective test, which can be caused by trauma, mental health, or societal factors, and receive life-altering medication and treatment just because you say so? The answer is there are no other things like that. Because you almost always have to have a test, or you almost always, and so there's a massive debate in the medical community about how to handle this well, because there's a massive amount of disagreement. And the reason I show all those, share all those stats with you, and all those figures with you, is to help you understand that, that you and I may knee-jerk reactions say, they're wrong and we're right. And can I just encourage you to do what Jesus would do, which is to take a step back, and there's a real person some of you, this is not just stats and figures. Some of you, this is a friend or a family member or a coworker who you eat with or sit next to every single day of the week. I love Jesus, though, when he started to encounter people. Think about to Zacchaeus. John records that Zacchaeus was a little man, but Jesus never said anything about the fact that he was a little man. What did Jesus see? Jesus saw him in his heart. You think about when he saw the Pharisees, he would go after them and just dig at them and ask questions, but at the end of the day, he saw them as people. Think about every interaction Jesus had with someone in the New Testament, whether he liked what they were doing or not, he always saw the problem or the person first, then the problem. We've reversed that. We see the problem first and then the person. And we've got to flip it back around. In John chapter 8, we get a picture of this as well. And I want to spend the rest of our time here because in John chapter 8 is the woman, with the woman that was caught in adultery. And I'm sure you're familiar with this account, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But basically, this woman's caught in adultery, and the Pharisees bring her in front of Jesus, and they say, the law of Moses says that we have to stone this lady. What do you think we should do? And Jesus' response is telling and fitting when you look at the totality of who Jesus is. It makes perfect sense. But I never caught this until I was reading about this earlier this week. Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 10, says, Jesus straightened up, and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, she said, no one at all. Jesus' response, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You want to know how to handle the people that are in your life that are transgender? I probably am not going to be able to help you out very much today, other than to share this with you. Jesus' response was, I don't condemn you, 
Now go leave your life of sin. We have flipped that around as well. Leave your life of sin, and then we won't condemn you. And so when you think about how do we interact with not just people who are transgender or really any sinner, our response has got to be the same. I don't condemn you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now go leave your life of sin. And when we flip those two around, we change the message of the gospel. We say, clean yourself up, and therefore God will accept you and love you, and then you can go on. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that while you were still dead, Christ died for you. That even when we were separated from him, that's, that's at our lowest or our worst place, and God chooses to love and accept you. But God just doesn't love you and accept you as you are. He wants you to move past that, and so he tells her, I don't condemn you, but leave your life of sin. When you look at people who are different than you, you have to take the same approach. We've reversed this. Leave your life of sin and we won't condemn you. No wonder we have such a bad rap as Christians. We've literally reversed the gospel that we've received ourselves. Right? So as you think about this, I want to remind you of this. Instead of trying to change their mind, show them the one that can change their heart. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Instead of leading with, you're wrong, which they might be, think of how many times we've had those arguments over the years. This is wrong, that's wrong. Tomorrow, something else is going to be wrong, and I'll show you why in just a minute. Heart change only happens by God's grace. Right? It just does. You can tell your husband all day long that he fishes too much, but eventually he will love you enough to figure out that he fishes too much. You are not going to nag him into not fishing less, you're not going to be the Holy Spirit and magically realign his priorities. It's going to be a heart change. And so above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. We have to understand that this, at a fundamental level, is a heart issue. It's an identity issue. It's a mental health I mean, there are so many issues here. And so what does that call for for you and for me? I think it calls for grace and love. Instead of trying to change their mind, show them the one who can change their heart. Because today, it's time, technology, and sexuality. Tomorrow, it's going to be something different. There's going to be something else coming for the hearts and attention of people everywhere. And this has been this way since sin came onto the scene. If you read in your Bible, you'll see this is indeed fact. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read this real quick, and I want you to think if any of it matches our culture. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, They'll be brutal, not lovers of good. They'll be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, sharing a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with these people. Look, there's something else that's coming. I can tell you what it's probably going to be. The next big thing in the sexual arena will be virtual sex. It's coming. You thought porn was bad? This is going to be massive where it's literally virtual sex and sex devices. You see where they're trying to change the language around pedophilia to its minor attracted persons to make it sound better. Something worse is going to happen, and we should not be shocked by this. If you're a Christian and you're like, I can't believe it's getting worse. No, Jesus said it would. Paul told Timothy, you just need to accept the fact it's going to get worse before it gets better. But here's the thing, because you could walk out of here right now and be like, that was a real downer of a day at church. The gospel is still changing people's lives. 
As I studied this and read of account after account after account of how people came to know the Lord because they struggled with their identity and found their real identity, it's just mind-blowing. God is still in control. He is not taken aback by this. He's not like, wow, I I really missed that one. No. Um, These people were created in the image of God, just like you are. They were people that Jesus died for, just like you are. And so for us, just because it's weird and we don't understand it, and I don't have all the answers. Matter of fact, uh, I'm going to have a discussion at the end of September. I encourage you to, to join. I didn't even get into what do we do about pronouns and how do you handle the bathroom thing and what, all the other issues around here, which we're going to have a discussion. And by discussion, I mean like you and I are going to talk. I'm not going to do this again. We didn't even get into that. So what do we do as Christians? Well, I think you've got to, just as I encourage you to take time to think about the way you spend your time as a family, I think you need to do that. I think you need to think about the way you spend technology as a family. Think about even the way you talk about this particular issue in your family is something that you need to think about and to talk about. I'd encourage you to get some, to know someone who's struggling. And if you're struggling here today, I would love to talk to you. I will freely admit that if you would have asked me three weeks ago, my take on this entire issue would have been completely different than it is today. And I'm grateful for God's word and the people around me that have helped me figure that out. It's really hard to love people just by shouting on social media or throwing your opinions out. But when you're face-to-face with somebody, you see the person and then you see the issue. So what do we do? Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. I cannot encourage you enough to have a conversation with the people closest with you today around your time, around your technology. And if you look at all that and you're like, we're good, then great, awesome. You had a conversation, congratulations. If there's a way that we can help or support you, we want to do that. And if you're here today and you've never heard this before, Jesus Christ loves you enough that he went to the cross and died for you and for every sin, not just one sin, for every sin that you've ever had before. And by faith and trust in him alone, can you be made new and not just new, but you move from death to life. And when you choose to put your faith and trust in him, it's not that all your problems will go away, it's that you get a new identity. And you no longer have to work to define yourself because what you are is defined by God. There's so much freedom in that. There's so much hope, and I hope you'll take advantage of that. In the days and weeks to come, I hope that the church is on the forefront of addressing this in a way with hope and love because everybody else is ignoring it. The data is out there. You don't even have to be a believer to agree with the data. The data is out there that it is destroying lives. So my hope is that the church will step in and have some conversations that maybe we wouldn't normally have to offer as much help as what God provides. Here's three quick resources I want to give to you if you want to read more about this in your own time. Uh, the first one's Sam Alberry's book, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies, is great. Um, Ryan Anderson's book, When Harry Became Sally, uh, you cannot buy it on Amazon. Amazon took it down, which must mean it's a good book. Um, I don't know if he's a believer, but if you like stats and research that book is, is amazing. And then the last one is Preston Sprinkle's book, Embodied Transgender Identities in the Church, What the Bible Has to Say. One of the major arguments around transgenderism is that the, it, it's mentioned in the Bible and the fact that there's eunuchs. And he has a great chapter in explaining that, that eunuchs were not transgender. They were, uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 19. If you want to deep dive into that, he has a great chapter on that. But those are just three resources. I'll send you a bunch of articles via email later today or tomorrow. But I just wanted to help you see that one, you've got to guard your heart. It's time, technology, and sexuality to today. It'll be something else tomorrow. But Jesus understood this, that what we put in comes out. 
And so what you spend your time doing is so important. I'd encourage you to have a conversation. Thanks for your graciousness and listening. I know it's a little bit longer than normal, but I appreciate it. I know it's like drinking out of a fire hose. If there's a way we can pray for you or help you in any ways, please don't hesitate to come and talk to me. But uh, let's go ahead and close our time in prayer. Father, we are grateful for the fact that you love us in spite of who we are. And that, God, we like to harp on certain sins, but we're cognizant of the fact that all sin separates us from you. So thank you for Jesus, who has paid for our sin and loves us not enough just to leave us there, but loves us enough to push us towards holiness and towards a right view of sexuality, a right view around technology, a right view of our time. God, I know these conversations can be so incredibly difficult as a family. I know that we struggle in my own family about how best to use our time and what to do about technology. So I pray that you'd give just an exceeding abundance of grace to the people in this room as they have conversations about what they do in their own time. And God, I pray and trust that your Holy Spirit will guide us to a better version of what you've called us to do. God, we're reminded that indeed the days are short, so help us to have wisdom in how we use them. God, we, we might get 70, 80, or 90 if we're lucky, but God, I pray that you would help us to take advantage of those in a way that's honoring to you. God, we recognize also that there are probably people in here that this is not just numbers and stats. This is a friend, a family member, or somebody else in their lives. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to be a force for good, that you would help us to lead with the fact that you love people and you sent your son to die with them. And that God, when the issues come up, I pray that we would handle so in a gracious and loving way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.